Good morning. morning. Welcome to Naples United Church of Christ. My name is Reverend Angela Wells-Bean, and it's my privilege to serve as your minister for congregational care. We are thrilled that you have joined us for worship this morning, both in person and online, whether you're joining us remotely or by podcast or broadcast. We are glad you are here. And a special welcome to our members at Bentley Village who are worshiping this morning. We're glad to have you as well. I'm David Greenhaw. I'm an ordained minister of the United Church of Christ, serving as interim senior minister. And enjoying this week because I get to be over here and she gets to be over there. So uh, a little swapping happening. Uh, So uh, if you would, uh, take a moment and register your attendance on the pads in the pew. Sign them. uh, Put your address in. Even though we know it, we won't give it to anybody else, but it helps us be sure that we're up to date. Pass it down the aisle. And if you're joining us remotely, please... uh, Uh, Register your attendance by telling us where you are. Uh, Thank you very much. Um, uh, Next week um, is the 2nd of October. Um, And that's significant because it turns out that literally all around the world, churches of every sort celebrate communion together. We, we all do communion in our own ways, in our own places, on our own schedule. But once a year, all the Christian churches of the world are encouraged to join together and have World Communion Sunday. And we'll be doing that here next week. And when we do, because it's such a special day, children will join us and be in worship on that day. It's also a special day for us because it is the return to two services Make special note of that. If you come at 10, you'll get to go to the 11 o'clock service and have a very long coffee break <laughs> because we join it. We'll have a service at 9 and at 11. So 9 and 11 beginning next Sunday. And one more thing, if next Sunday is not busy enough already, it is also our Cans for Communion Sunday. On the first Sunday of every month, we take up a collection of non-perishable goods for our mission partner, Grace Place, and October is no different. So as you're out shopping this week, maybe you're doing a little hurricane preparedness shopping, I don't know, um, put a few extra goods in your cart and please bring them to worship next week. The folks at Grace Place will be very grateful. So she mentioned hurricane. It turns out that uh, there's some rumor of one coming. uh, And it looks pretty convincing that there's something coming. Where it lands and what it does is still uncertain. And that means that meetings and things that are scheduled for the week are a little squishy. Uh, We don't know yet. So watch the church website, look at your email, and we will keep you up to date about what the plans are for the week as it goes. And if your power's out and you can't get on the website or our power's out and we don't have a website, then you can assume that we're not going to do whatever was going to be notified. So, uh, so uh, uh, do, let's uh, uh, be prepared and uh, watch and not over-worry, but not under-worry. So. And now let us prepare our hearts and minds as we prepare for worship. Those who are dressed in fine clothes and those who cannot afford new clothes and everyone in between. Those who feast every day and those who worry about how to feed their children and everyone in between. Come, there's a place for you here. 
Now let us stand in body or spirit as we join together in singing our opening hymn. Let us pray together. We thank you, O God, that you have given us eyes to see, not only those dressed in fine linen, but those who are impoverished and hungry. Surround us with your inspiring spirit this morning, that we might have the faith to work, to, to serve to uh, overlooks. Amen. Will you now join me in a season of prayer? Let us pray together. God, we come to you this day in joy, over joy that we are able to gather to enjoy a sunny day, to hear music, to see friends. We come with joy, blessed by the miracles of modern medicine, providing interventions where none existed before, giving sight and sound, mobility, and healed broken places. We come with joy because we have homes and safe places to stay. God, we come to you with hope that the things that make joy for us can be the same for all of your children. We come hoping that homes can be found for all, for those who have lost what they had or had nothing to begin with. We come hoping that the miracle of modern medicine will be for all who are hurt or need healing. God, we come this week watchful, watching the weather, watching the news, which seems too often bad, watching the rebirth of things once troubled. We come watching for the breaking forth of your good news. We come watching and joyful and hopeful we come in the name of Jesus, who has brought us joy, gives us hope, encourages us to watch for the coming of your reign. We come in the name of Jesus, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Listen now to this reading from the Gospel according to Luke, reading from the 16th chapter. You may follow along, it's printed in your bulletin. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in agony in these flames. And Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so. And no one can cross from there to us. He said, oh, then, then, Father, I beg you to send to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but, but, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations on all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In April of 2018, a man named Ezekiel Mendez passed away at age 57. That following September, a few months later, his casket lay in the middle of St. Anthony's Shrine in Boston. Twelve high school students from the Boston College High School attended Ezekiel's funeral. Let me rephrase that. It was only attended by 12 Boston College High School students. Now, you might wonder, why was this 57-year-old man's funeral only attended by 12 high school students? And it's because Ezekiel lived on the street in Boston for many years and had no friends or family to speak of. 
These students never knew him either, but they did know that he was a child of God and that he deserved to be remembered. The students carried Mendez's casket from the hearse into the sanctuary, and they sat in the front row in their suits and ties for the duration of his 45-minute funeral. A student named Luca attended his service and said these words, I want to make sure Ezekiel is remembered, that his legacy doesn't die, and that he wasn't abandoned during his funeral. This is a ministry of St. Anthony's Shrine. The funerals and burials are provided for the city's poorest and loneliest residents. The church covers the cost of the funerals, and the students volunteer their time in attending the services, and these are called Lazarus Funerals. So here we have a Lazarus in today's story, a poor man who is nothing shy of revolting while laying on the ground covered in open sores. Now, biblical scholars like to debate all kinds of things, including the role of dogs in our sacred stories. Some scholars think that the dogs were harassing Lazarus, that they were basically trying to scavenge off of him and start eating him before he had even died. Other scholars think that the dogs were licking Lazarus' wounds as a means of tending to him and caring for him because apparently dog saliva has healing properties. Either way, this is who we have sitting at the foot of the rich man's gate, a half-dead, starving man. Now, the rich man's sin was not that he was mean to Lazarus. He didn't hurt him or punish him or otherwise insult him. He didn't kick Lazarus every time he walked past him. The rich man's sin was that he cared so little about Lazarus that he ignored him. He was so insignificant to the rich man that he wasn't even worth his energy. He passed by Lazarus every day as he came and went from what we can presume was his mansion, and he never paid him any attention. This is why he was sent to Hades to experience eternal agony. Roman hearers of this story would have expected the rich to aid the poor as part of their role in the patronage system. In fact, it's plausible that people even carried Lazarus and put him at the foot of the rich man's gate, expecting him to help care for Lazarus. Jewish hearers hearers of this story also would have expected such patronage given that they were also part of the Roman system And their faith compelled them to respond to such suffering. They too would have condemned the man for failing to help Lazarus. Here are these words from the Hebrew Bible from the book of Deuteronomy. Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, I therefore command you open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. So Lazarus might not have mattered to the rich man, but Lazarus mattered to Jesus. Lazarus mattered to Jesus for one simple reason that we know of. Jesus named him. 
He mattered to the author of Luke as well because the author retained Lazarus' name in the story. And Jesus wants Lazarus to matter to his Jewish and Gentile audience. And Jesus wants Lazarus to matter to us. Whether or not someone is given a name in the Bible is very significant. And apart from Abraham, who we also hear about in this story, Lazarus is the only person, the only one in all of Jesus' parables across all the Gospels who's given a name. I fact-checked this just to make sure I'm not spreading misinformation, and it is true. In all of Jesus' parables... Lazarus is the only person who he names. Think about it. We have the prodigal son, the widow, the laborers in the fields, the woman baking bread, the sower, the lost sheep, the good Samaritan. No names. But who gets a name? Lazarus. The starving man lying half dead on the sidewalk. This is who Jesus wants us to remember. Our society has gotten really good at impersonalizing and euphemizing those who are poor. We have categories for poor people, working class, low income, those who are on government assistance. Poor people are relegated to categories used for statistics, but Jesus wants us to know poor folks, to know their names, their identities, and their histories. They are not statistics. They are human beings, specific individuals with unique stories who live with the constant daily stress of not having enough. People who, like all of us, are more complicated than their economic circumstances. By contrast, our world knows rich folks. We are fascinated by rich people. We know who they are, how they came to be wealthy, what they eat for breakfast, how they spend their day. We know their names because they are published in lists in Forbes magazine. You can go on in Fo- to Forbes online and you can read about the top 400 richest families in the United States. You can read about the billionaires of 2022. You can read about America's richest self-made women. You can learn about the richest people in your state, the richest people in tech, the highest earning hedge fund managers, and there are more categories. All of this information is at your fingertips online. But poor people? We don't have any lists of poor people with the least money in our country. I couldn't find any headlines that said the 50 Americans who have been homeless the longest. I couldn't find a profile of the number one family supporting the most children with the least money in our nation. I couldn't find the top 100 elderly people in your state living on the smallest fixed incomes. Nobody would want to read these articles because they would make us sad. Like the rich man, we too are tempted to turn our gaze away from those who are suffering Because we don't want to think about what our role might be in helping them. But in this story, Jesus gently grabs our chin and turns our face and says, look towards them. Turn towards the suffering. Know them. Know their names. Love them and serve them. People in Roman times often blamed poor people for their conditions And we still tend to do this 2,000 years later. We have a habit of blaming people for personal irresponsibility. 
She shouldn't have had all those kids if she couldn't afford them. If they can't afford to live here, they should probably just move. He should have saved earlier for retirement. It's a shame that he's run out of income. Too bad she's an addict and lost all her money. She never should have started using. They wouldn't need to stand on the street horner and panhandle if they would just get a job. Jesus does not tell us to ask for pay stubs, tax returns, or receipts before helping people. He doesn't make us prove that we are worthy of help. He says, give to those who beg of you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give them to the needy. Jesus says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And he does not make ourselves prove worthy of his love. My prayer for our church is that we can be the community where we love one another as Jesus first loved us. Like the sitcom Cheers, which was before my time, I hope we can be the church where everybody knows your name. Where we know we matter, where we turn towards, not away from each other's suffering and the suffering of the world. And I have to take this opportunity to make a quick plug for name tags. I know name tags are easily forgettable on Sunday morning, but they work wonders in helping us build community and helping us know each other's names. And if you don't have one, please contact the church office or stop by the gathering place and we will get you one. No one is so well known that they don't need a name tag. I have seen pictures of Brad Pitt wearing a name tag. And if he can wear one, we can too. (laughs) Thank you, Becky. (laughs) And no one is so unimportant or anonymous that they don't need a name tag. Please get a name tag and wear it. Church growth experts will tell you that the sign of a healthy church is not only wearing our name tags, but that members of that church have an elevator speech about their community of faith. You should be able to tell someone in a minute or less why your community is different from the one down the street, why it matters, and why they might find value in being part of your congregation. I hope that we can tell folks that at Naples United Church of Christ, you will find a community of people that loves you, that cares about you, that knows your name, that extravagantly welcomes you into the fold regardless of race, ethnic background, age, gender identity or expression, sexual orientation, physical or mental ability, socioeconomic background, that means rich or poor, marital status or faith background. Now, I realize you might have to talk really quickly to get that in under a minute, but those words are directly from our church bylaws. This is the community we have agreed to be. The ministry of Lazarus Funerals at St. Anthony's Shrine and today's parable have something in common. They both recognize that poor person after they've died. We don't have to wait until people have died to treat them with dignity and respect. 
Jesus calls us to see and to name people like Lazarus and Ezekiel, people the rest of the world overlooks because they are worthless, literally worthless, having no worth, not making it onto any of those Forbes lists. We can be the church that sees the worth in those who are otherwise worthless. The place where there's no shame in being rich or poor, put together or falling apart because we all see and support and love one another. Let Naples United Church of Christ be the church where there are no preconditions for belonging, where we are named and we are known. Amen. As you go from this place, may you have the courage to turn towards the suffering of this world and have the faith that as a community gathered together, we can do something to alleviate the suffering in our corner of the world. And may you know that you are a beloved child of God. You are created in God's image. And I pray that you go in peace. Amen.